What's up, friends? It's Haley, aka Bird, and you are tuning in to the Give Them the Bird podcast. This podcast is all about challenging what it means to be healthy and fit. It's about celebrating sustainable behavior change and non-scale victories. And most importantly, it's about giving the bird to the diet industry and societal expectations of body size. Why? Well, because at the end of the day, you have an entire life to live that does not require your body look a certain way. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's give them the bird. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Give Them the Bird. My name is Haley, aka Bird, and on today's episode, I am chatting with Jeff Ash. Jeff is a husband of a chronic pain slash illness warrior. He's the father of two neurodivergent adult daughters, a dog lover, nutritionist, intuitive eating coach, personal trainer, and host of the Men's Intuition Podcast, where he seeks to teach and encourage other men, and of course, everyone else too, on their own intuitive eating journeys. His passion lies in helping individuals and families transform their relationships with food, exercise, and their bodies, all without restriction, guilt, or shame. Hello and welcome, Jeff. Hey, great to be with you. Yes, I am so excited. I feel like you were on my radar like a while ago when I first started following you because I'm like, I need to get like some some male voices on the podcast. Mm -hmm. So it's always really exciting when I find a male who is into intuitive eating like it's you're a rare breed my friend yeah it's like a unicorn <laughs> yeah you are a total unicorn um before we start talking about all things intuitive eating tell us a little bit about you this can be professional or whatever you want to share personally but give us a give us a taste of who you are yeah sure um so i am 50 years old. I have uh, have two teenage daughters. Teenage. Why did I say teenage? I have adult <laughs> daughters. They're <laughs> almost 25 and almost 27 and one's been married for five or six years. So, yeah. I love that. Um, anyway, boy, that's that's crazy. But yeah, so um, and, and I'm married. I live in Houston, Texas and and uh, with my wife. And as you mentioned in my my bio, uh, my wife has chronic pain and chronic medical issues. And that definitely characterizes a lot of our life. You know, it, our, it impacts every aspect of our life. And I think that it also informs a lot about how I work as a practitioner and mm. a lot of how I've transitioned over the, over the years from where I was in, in a typical kind of a fitness mindset. And we'll probably talk about that some more uh, and how I've transitioned to a completely weight neutral approach mm. in my coaching now. And, and so, um, I think those things have definitely shaped that. I also grew up in a really, really loving family with two parents who were married and, and acted like they were teenagers in love until the day <laughs> my dad died, uh, you know, and when he was almost 70. And so that was the model that I had growing up. And I also, one of the interesting things, and you know, it's probably pertinent to this topic, is that my dad was very much a hands-on parent, a very nurturing kind of a a father figure he was he didn't have the typical traits that you would associate with you know masculinity i mean he definitely was he was he was a hundred percent man and and uh but at the same time he exhibited a lot of those other qualities and so i i was able to see see that growing up and modeled and so i've always had i think a little bit different mindset of what it means to be a man than is kind of sometimes portrayed in our our culture our society and that sometimes unfortunately a lot of guys grow up with without having that and so they only have this sort of one way of expressing their masculinity you know like mm -hmm. I, I cry at lifetime movies i, oh I cry gosh. at <laughs> homeward bound is my is my uh, kryptonite that movie <laughs> the end of it it just kills me um oh. and so uh, and i'm not afraid to do that i'm not afraid to admit that in front mm -hmm. of guys or you know it Mm -hmm. cry in front of my wife or that kind of thing so uh anyway that that kind of gives you a little bit of a background on mm -hmm. how i how this intuitive eating thing fits well with me and my mm -hmm. personality totally yeah it's like you were raised <laughs> to be doing what you're doing it sounds like it's funny mm -hmm. my my dad passed away um he would have been in his in his 50s but very similar like he was a farmer which because we're i live in iowa so like yeah mm -hmm. farmers um farmer so very which you think of like very masculine and just like you know really hard working and all of that he was also a musician though and i think mm -hmm. that that kind of helped him tap into this like other side and 
we always joke around because his favorite color was pink. He um, absolutely loved SpongeBob, which is just like a goofy <laughs> oh, me thing. Me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, he was the same way, would like very open about crying. Like every time he talked about me and my sisters, like, oh, my daughters, he would start crying. Mm -hmm. He would hug his friends and like kiss him on the cheek. And so I, yes, I love that like warmth and nurturing um, masculinity or just presence because mm -hmm. that's something that I, you know, grew up with too. So I'm, Another reason I think that I was so drawn to what you do and how you go about doing it. Um, you had mentioned that your wife really kind of shifted the way you view fitness. And that's one thing that I love to talk about is how our perceptions and like definition of what it means to be healthy and fit has changed throughout the years. So I'm curious if you can kind of tell us from your perspective, what that change was like, where were you at and where are you now and how do you define healthy and fit? Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting because, um, you know, my, my first marriage, I shared this with you a little bit offline. I won't go into yeah. detail because that'd be a whole episode, but <laughs> my first marriage was, was extremely abusive. My wife, uh, toward, toward myself and our, uh, our daughters as well. And so we're dealing with the aftermath of that, but she passed away in 2010 uh, from an undi undiagnosed cancer that we didn't mm -hmm. know about that caused some blood clots and, and she just dropped dead. And so, um, so anyway, dealing with that uh, has played a role in that too. But then a, a couple of years later, I met my wife on eHarmony and we hit it oh. off immediately. We were married less than a year later and it's been fantastic. But about a month after we got married, she started having these major serious issues where she'd have these shooting pains in her head and her nose would start bleeding and she'd have blood come out of her ears sometimes and so of course you know you're thinking the worst in that but uh the medical condition she has is is a brain condition where you have too much spinal fluid pressure in your brain and so it basically it's this 24 7 pain in your head wow. and then she also has a lupus on top of that and so those kinds of things we're, we're dealing with them on literally a daily basis and in fact right now she's actually in the hospital she's been oh, in, in and out of the hospital so she, right now she's in in the hospital and um so seeing well after after she got diagnosed with that stuff in that first year of our marriage it's kind of interesting i I did one of those bodybuilding.com transformation challenges where, oh, yeah. you know, it's basically the see who can get the leanest in 12 weeks. And yes. basically it's a starvation contest so you can tolerate it. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I did that and that was, that was a, yeah, that was kind of my mentality then was, you know, mm. you get lean, you bulk if you want to add more muscle and you lean and, and, and I, I thought that was a healthy way of doing it. And, just the typical fitness mindset but over the course of seeing my wife um and how she navigates day to day and how it impacted our life i saw the a lot of problems with that but then mm -hmm. it actually the way i really got into the weight neutral approach i mean i think that kind of set me up for it but i got interested in working with children and families mm. and started following ellen satter's work i don't know if you know who she is yeah is that the um, division of responsibility yes okay yeah division of responsibility so i got really involved in her group and learning from all of the the uh, professionals in there and going through her training materials and stuff like that and and just through that process i just i fell in love with the weight neutral approach mm -hmm. and seeing how how practical it is for the average everyday person like mm -hmm. the real life people who are dealing with chronic illnesses uh, family issues, abusive relationships, all these things that dieting just exacerbates that. It just adds a whole other layer of stress and and um, unnecessary stuff to deal mm -hmm. with. And so, and and then also one of the interesting things was learning about the child nutrition. This one's what's funny is that you talk to a lot of fitness professionals and they are always like, oh, you never put a kid on a diet. Even hardcore, like, weight loss is the only is the way to health you know hardcore mm -hmm. that they're always like oh no you never put a kid or a teenager on a diet but then as soon as they turn 18 it's like okay hardcore diet them and that that's so totally true. fine and so for me that just did not process i was like you know if it's not good for them it's probably not good mm -hmm. on your 18th birthday either right. <laughs> yeah. and so so that was a big shift mentally mm -hmm. through that process too and then of course in that process i got exposed to intuitive eating from a proper perspective, because I mm -hmm. had the twisted, messed up view of haze and intuitive eating yes. back in the day. 
And, uh, and so, yeah, just through that process that I, I fell in love with those 10 principles and that framework that just really resonated with me. And it also resonated with what I wanted to do. So anyway, that's kind of the, mm. how I got into this space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I never thought about that before the, you know, never put a kid on a diet, but as soon as they're 18, like mm -hmm. let's, let's get them started. It's like init initiation into adulthood. Yeah. That is such a way, a good way to look at it. If it's, if it's not something that we would, you know, put a child on or even an adolescent. I mean, some people, you know, some mm -hmm. people do obviously, but why get them started with it in adulthood then? It's like, doesn't, that doesn't make sense. I've never thought about it from that, from mm -hmm. that perspective before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, you know, I started working with just everybody and I still do. I mean, I don't, I don't just work with men, but, um, I, I found, most of my clients were women, which mm -hmm. they're the ones that tend to gravitate toward toward this approach and really even in seeking out coaching and help anyway, right. especially with my personality, because I am not a hardcore like go big or go home. Yeah. I'm not like <laughs> saying, you know, oh, you, you didn't increase your weight over the last three weeks. You need to push your I, I, that's just not me. Mm -hmm. And so um, so I attracted th th those kinds of people. And mm -hmm. and but through that process and, and just becoming more and more involved in intuitive eating, I saw that there's this lack of male voices in the space. Totally. In fact, I tried to find some and I couldn't. It, mm -mm. And I'm just now even finally connecting with uh, some guys, Aaron Flores and mm. and David Orozco. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but mm -hmm. you know, there are a couple of guys in that space. And so, um, so anyway, I realized that somebody needs to at least try and make yeah. a, a concerted effort to reaching them. And now actually all my clients are men at the moment. <laughs> so oh, really? It's kind of, yeah, That's it's kind amazing, of interesting. Though. Yeah, it's kind of cool though, but. Um, yeah, I'm curious um, when you look at like the difference between men and women, and maybe this is from having worked with both of them. I mean, I know like I do, I work with primarily college students and there's a, I've had one male student who has come to me and he was like, hey, I really want to learn more about intuitive eating. And he was mm -hmm. a prior athlete. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. You know, I was yeah. so pumped. But I'm curious from your perspective, how how do you feel like disordered eating or like unhealthy relationships with food and movement and their bodies, how does it show up for men? And maybe is, how is it different than like the female clients that you've worked with before? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the issues are the same just because we're all human beings. And, and I think at the at the core, you know, we're all emotional human beings. And so, but but it definitely does present differently. Mm -hmm. And you have to look for things in a different way. And I think that's why it's so underdiagnosed and undertreated in men. Mm -hmm. You know, you just typically don't think of men as having eating disorders mm -hmm. or disordered eating. That's like a girl thing. Yeah. And, and even more, you know, <laughs> go down that path of it's even often associated with race and class and everything. And mm -hmm. so uh, there's and, and there's a lot of stigma associated with with men and disordered eating and that that concept, because even though I'm not in that that typical fitness space in, as far as my coaching and how I work, I'm still involved in some communities that are very much still mm -hmm. that way. I've been in them for years and. I've developed a certain level of trust and uh, as an expert, and I often get tagged in posts. So I, I've been able to, as I've transitioned into this weight neutral approach, I've been able to bring that in and actually bring a lot mm -hmm. of people to kind of shift mindsets in that way. And so that's been good. But, um, but yeah, you know, men often don't like to admit where they struggle. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big, big uh, way that it, it presents difference. So they might say they're interested in it, but they're not going to admit it's because of trauma or because mm. they're they're of, of the emotional struggles they might share something else or like oh yeah i'm just trying to get healthy or i'm just mm -hmm. trying to look at something different this sounded kind of interesting to me and not that oh dieting has destroyed me yes. from a yeah that kind of thing that you often hear with women who are just like so fed up with dieting i don't hear that from mm. from the men as much um mm -hmm. Even the ones who clearly have been and have struggled a mm -hmm. lot, they don't they don't come to me sharing that initially, uh, and they often avoid vulnerability mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And so it it definitely takes a, a little bit different approach. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and... I'm curious. The um, I mean, I think it's this idea of like toxic masculinity, and you kind of talked about it a little bit when you were sharing like how your dad was growing up mm -hmm. and everything, but 
from like those men who come to you and you know don't want to admit that they're struggling or like do struggle with the vulnerability what are some of the reasons that and maybe they like you know share it with you later on when you've built some rapport with Mm -hmm. them and everything but what are some of the reasons that prevent them from that like what is it in your in your experience have you found that you know they just don't want to talk about it. Like, is it just this like cultural, societal, like toxic masculinity? Or do you find that there's oftentimes more to it with with the men that you work with? Yeah, I think just a lot. And I can speak for myself, too, because mm-hmm. even though I was raised by, um, you know, a very loving, nurturing man, it, the culture still impacts you. Totally. I until my first wife passed away, I used to look at people who were in abusive relationships and uh, very judgmentally like mm-hmm. why don't you just leave and i'm mm-hmm. sitting in the midst of this horrific one myself wow. um you know i would you know, be, be judgmental about mental health issues it's like what you know, that kind of you know it, what's the big deal why don't you just mm-hmm. stop doing this or that and so i had a very twisted way of, of viewing that, that, that lined up with that, you know, as is often referred to as that toxic masculinity, totally. just kind of like suck it up. I mean, what, just move on. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, it took my wife passing away and then me finally being free of that. And then going into some counseling myself to realize just how messed up my thinking was on that. Mm-hmm. And then also to connect with what, ha- what I had been dealing with and realize that, that um, what I was really doing was suppressing what was really going on inside. And I think that wow. that's where, where uh, a lot of men struggle is because we're not encouraged typically to, to dig deep and to share and to figure out what's at the core of something so that we can deal with it and work on. We're taught more to you know, not be vulnerable, do those things that are often associated with success, you know, grit, determination, drive, motivation, discipline, all those things. And of course, those are really even more uh, that that mentality is strengthened even more with this dieting mentality, because you often uh, try and apply it there, too. Mm -hmm. That made me think of when you said, even though, you know, you were raised by a, you know, like the way that your dad was like very nurturing Mm -hmm. and everything it didn't prevent you from still, you know, taking on some of these like toxic traits or like harmful, mm-hmm. you know, masculinity traits. It reminds me too, I know I've talked with some folks before about it's the same thing I feel like with diet culture. Like we can be raised in a household that, you know, like our parents don't diet. They don't really talk about mm-hmm. body weight, like a very weight neutral household, but we can't protect our kids from what the world is going to, how the world is going to impact them. Like that, that aligns so well and you're exactly right like it mm-hmm. exacerbates all these other issues that kids or teens or even 20 30 40 50 year olds are already dealing with in the world regardless of what you know regardless of how they were raised like we just we can't we can't protect them from that all from it all and i know like for as parents i'm curious maybe if like parents have ever shared this with you but that frustration like this like need i'm not a parent myself but i can imagine this like need to want to protect a child knowing that like no matter what i do the world can still mess them up like how i don't know do parents ever talk to you about that and like what or even from your experience like what is that mm-hmm. like as as a parent yeah definitely i mean you that that's one of the things that as as parents you you want to protect your kids from all of these negative influences and it often backfires when you try to because sometimes you you don't do it in the best way that mm. is truly yeah, it, it, there's this fine line between protection and like sheltering and, yeah. and keeping them from understanding it. And so, so yeah, that can definitely be um, a difficult thing to, to deal with. And because, yeah, you do, you get all these messages from, from the outside. And I think that my, you know, my advice to parents, I, I did some of this, not nearly as well as I could have, but is to look for these signs and not not just blow things off, mm. not just ignore them or say, oh, that's just how teenagers are. But when, when you see things or when they ask questions, answer them. Mm. Um, that's one thing I know that I would say I did really well with my kids is that if they ever had questions, I, I told them. You know, I mm-hmm. told them about the, the areas that I screwed up as a young person and, mm. and I didn't shy away from that and I didn't shy away from the details if that was appropriate. And, and if they asked me any kind of a question, I, I never 
just dismissed it. I, I either mm-hmm. tried to find a good answer or thought through it or talked through it with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a result, there were very awkward conversations for me, especially <laughs> as a single dad. You know, I remember yeah. my, after my first wife passed away, I had, um, you know, two teenage daughters and, and my oldest came to me. She'd probably be appalled at me saying this, but she doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. and I don't think her friends do either. We but, won't tag her. Yeah, but she, she goes... Um, I th- I'm trying to figure out how to put in a tampon. Oh, yeah. I'm like, well, you could go talk to so and so. I, you know, I had I had some female friends, and I said, or or YouTube it, and I said, here, let's pull it up on YouTube. So I pulled it up, and I said, well, watch that video, and you can. I, I really can't help you there. I've never done it, yeah, and it I wouldn't no be appropriate for me to help you, but. Um, <laughs> But you know those kinds of things. Oh, so it felt that. good that I that they were able that they felt comfortable totally. talking to me about that. And I think that that's that's something where um, I guess it's a little off topic. But I, it's, that's mm-hmm. some advice that I would give to to men is to be mm-hmm. open to those kinds of things. You know, typically it's not uncommon for men to even be uncomfortable buying feminine hygiene products at, at the store, mm-hmm. and or even like. You know, asking where they are, they're looking for a certain one or whatever. Yes. And I, I never had any issue with that because I had, you know, wife and two daughters, and mm-hmm. I took my youngest daughter for her first bra fitting. And I'm, I'm, so <laughs> I love it. That is that is like perfect. And I love that you mentioned that because I literally just the other day tried to get my husband to buy me tampons on the store, and he was like, "I'm not getting those." And I was like, "Come on, <laughs> just do it. I can't go to the I can't go to Target right now. Yeah. You know, it's." Um, yeah, you mentioned like signs, like look out for certain things and, you know, try not to let them go unnoticed. Mm-hmm. What signs come to mind? Like, I love, I love the, you know, the, the questions and responding to questions, like being open about that. But when you say like notice signs, what might be some of those like signs that you, that parents might want to look out for? Yeah. A lot of, t- a lot of them are comments on, on their body, mm-hmm. comments on other people's bodies too. Yeah. That's something too, that. I think a lot of parents look at commenting on other people's bodies as, oh, that's not nice. You shouldn't mm-hmm. be you shouldn't be telling that person that they're fat or making fun of them because they're fat. Not why why do you think that that's a problem or something funny or why do you think that that's something that you should point out to somebody or that's not appropriate? And, and I think we approach it as parents a lot from the wrong perspective mm-hmm. and when when in reality when they're saying those things it's probably there's probably something internal going on that should be addressed yeah. instead of just saying don't do that that's not nice if you can't say anything nice don't say anything at all mm-hmm. that's that that doesn't really help yeah. um, address yeah. the underlying issue and so i'd say that would be a big one eating habits too you know the obvious ones if a if your teenager or your child is wanting to go on a diet that's a big red flag yeah. and you know i was working with a young woman recently, a uh, um, you know, an eighteen-year-old, and that was you know her first diet was in her early teens, and mm. and it really impacted a lot of where she was today, and so we were kind of undoing a lot of the thinking around that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but those are those are the big ones I would say that stand out. But really, just listen to what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're making comments about other people or about themselves or. Um, listen to what their friends are saying because they may not say it, but because mm-hmm. they know, oh, you all know, get in trouble if I say that at home. But they're, you hear their friends saying it, so you know they may be having those conversations. Mm-hmm. So those would be things to kind of look for. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that it's helpful to talk about this because I, I remember too, for the longest time, I always thought like, don't comment on other people's bodies, and then I, it was in like season one of the of GTB. I don't even know what episode it was, like maybe ten or eleven or something. And I had, she at the time was a local dietitian. She's now in Colorado. She's an eating disorder dietitian, but she, we talked about it and she was like, you know, and now I see it all over like social media and everything, but that was, she had mentioned, you know, when, if a kid says like, oh, mommy, that person is fat or, oh, daddy, that person is fat. It's not about like shushing them because then they think that it's wrong, that like being fat is wrong. And and Mm -hmm. that was really eye opening to me because Instead, it was just like, yep, they are in a larger body. They are, they do have fat on their body and like, and that's okay. And you Mm -hmm. know what? Some people do and some people don't. And I feel like for me, I had, I never once thought that like, I always thought that it was like, don't say that. Like how, that is so mean. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that it's worth like reiterating that because a lot of parents, we have been taught like, 
you know, be respectful, be kind. And that means not completely, you know, it, it means hushing that and, and not saying those things, but really that like demonizes that, that body type and, you know, can cause issues down the road. So I love that you mentioned mm-hmm. that. And that was like a really eye-opening thing for me. And I was like, thank God I don't have kids yet. Or like, I'm hearing this before I yeah. have kids because I was about to really <laughs> F them up. Like I was really yeah. going to mess up their perspective. So Well, and that wasn't talked about as much when you know, back in the early 90s when I was having oh, kids. Yeah. And so, uh, and then even before that, it, it really was much more of that. Um, you just say nice things. But the mm-hmm. focus was on the behavior, the outward behavior, the outward things that came out of your mouth. It wasn't on a focus on changing the internal aspects of it. Yeah. And so you have a whole lot of people, especially from like my parents' generation and, and prior to that, where the, the the entire focus is on not saying it. But if you believe it internally, as long as you don't say it, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's just not because it, it inevitably comes out. Yeah, I feel like it's it it aligns even with like racism. And, yeah, I was thinking the same know, thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it totally aligns with that or like ableism, all the isms really, yeah. you know, it's like yep. totally aligns if we don't point out that a person is in a wheelchair or we hush a child if a person is in a wheelchair, then it's like they think that a wheelchair is inherently, you know, bad or the person mm-hmm. in it is, you know, less able or, you know, there's yeah, I love that. Talk about it and use it as an opportunity to have a conversation and change that internal, not just mm-hmm. hushing and changing the external. That's a really good point. I love this. So, okay, let's talk a little bit more about men. Mm-hmm. How do we go about, like I, as someone who, um, my husband is like rough, tough, very duty mm-hmm. and um, love him. He's great. He's definitely softened since being with me and my, my whole family is, um, we're just a bunch of like stubborn women, you know? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> and so I feel like I've softened him and like opened him up to this a little bit. And even when it comes to like health and fitness, he, when we first met, he was doing like the physique competitions. And I was also in a very disordered place. Mm-hmm. But like, as I've uncovered like my, you know, body image struggles, I've noticed that, you know, he's like changed. It's been like a really beautiful like transformation together, I feel like. But, that like tapping into the emotions is so hard and even like trying to get him to go to the freaking doctor is hard so like how do we how do we freaking approach this topic with men and you know for one even just like individually in conversation but also i think it'd be worth talking about like on a broader scale how can we just advocate for more you know men and help seeking behaviors among them that's yeah, a lot. I, ha, have fun unpacking that one. <laughs> oh, I know. And when you, you you gave me a heads up that you were going to ask that yeah. kind of a question, so I'm glad I had a little bit of a chance to think about it. But <laughs> but yeah, it, you know, I don't know what the answer is from like the, from a systemic level. I I'm not a sociology kind of person, and and you know, I probably have my opinions that are probably not all that informed. You know, like <laughs> yeah, like a lot same. of us in our politics. You know, yeah. we argue politics, and we don't even know what the issues yeah. are. We don't even know same. enough to know what to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to know what, how much we don't know, but yes. um, but anyway, I you know with me the, the I, I'd say and and this is kind of something interesting with with the reason I started this intuitive.eating.men account on Instagram is, is that um, trying to make it more normal and public to talk about these things and to talk about the principles of intuitive eating and to also be a bit vulnerable myself. And then also on my podcast, I try and and show some vulnerability whenever I can or on these kinds of things, sharing that too. And and trying to, I guess, lead by example in the sense that you're modeling that it's okay to be a man, to be a 50-year-old man. And, uh, you know, I'm not, this isn't to brag, but like I'm a three-time national karate champion as an adult. I played baseball in high school. I was a competitive rock climber in my early 20s and teens. Um, I do ninja training now, as we were talking about before. And so I think of myself as an athletic, manly dude. I mean, Mm -hmm. I... I enjoyed punching people in the face and getting kicked in the face and, and punch and yeah. So, and I can, I can defend myself and those kinds of things. And so, um, I don't, you know, I still definitely think of that. And I try and include those things to more from the perspective of, no, I'm not the stereotypical, you know, artsy guy all about mm-hmm. feelings and stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but right. some guys don't, 
they kind of have that stereotype stuck in their head. Mm -hmm. So I try to include that kind of a, of a message, but at the same time, then model that vulnerability. Mm. And, um, you know, I shared recently on one of my stories, something about you know, the fact that I, I just found out I have gallstones. Mm -hmm. I went in to get a CT on my back and, and they said, well, your back's fine, but you have gallstones. And so, and, you know, and, and just recently I just booked an appointment with a urologist because I'm having some prostate issues mm -hmm. as far as, and so these are things I want to talk about publicly. And I'm, I'm actually been thinking through how I'm going to do some content going forward. Cause I don't know if I just have the typical 50 year old dude enlarged mm -hmm. prostate issues or if I have <laughs> prostate cancer because my mm -hmm. dad did and so whatever the case may be I want to make sure that guys there may be awkward what people view as awkward I'm going to try and and be as detailed about what's going on and and make that much more normal I guess mm -hmm. so guys feel more comfortable with that now in my coaching at the individual level I don't know if this is how you're supposed to do it, but it works for me <laughs> and it works for my clients, but I'm very it. vulnerable with them. And so mm -hmm. if they share something and it's somewhere where I struggled also, I'll, I'll share something very personal about myself. If mm -hmm. I think that it's going to help them to let down some walls and to say, oh, okay, this guy, he's actually a professional in this space and he struggles with having you know whatever food around too much or you know sometimes he overeats too sometimes he loses control around certain foods or whatever and and then then it, it helps them to feel more comfortable mm -hmm. for me to then share here's how i worked through this and here are some of the emotions that i dealt with mm -hmm. you know so i'm pointing out the fact that yeah i i struggle emotionally too mm -hmm. and so um i think that that's been one of the big ways and i think that more men I wish more men would be more vulnerable like that, especially those in, in leadership mm -hmm. types of roles, coaches, people who are out there. And, mm -hmm. and I think we've seen more of that in the culture. You know, you see um, professional athletes now talking yeah. about their struggles with mental health. And and even uh, there's there's a, a ninja warrior competitor, um, Flip Rodriguez. He's a big name in the in the ninja warrior community. And and he's recently come out talking about his childhood uh, abuse and oh, wow. and trauma and stuff, and that's become a big platform for him. Mm -hmm. And I think that those kinds of things, I think just continuing to do that, I guess that kind of rambling here, but that, from a no. systemic level, I think that can be really helpful is that if more men who have been through those things would just share what mm -hmm. they've been through, other men can relate and say, okay, I, I can let down some of these walls. I can be a little vulnerable myself and, and it's okay to be, to, to cry, to talk mm -hmm. about my feelings with another guy mm -hmm. and still be an elite athlete or still be a, you know, karate champion, you know, whatever yes. it is. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. You really lead by example. I feel like, cause I know, I know that in like the coaching space or maybe it's more of like the like counseling sort of space that not sharing, you know, have a very distinct separation between like mm -hmm. client and coach or client and counselor. But I agree. Like I find that especially with students who um, have like struggled are in recovery or have a, a mm -hmm. current eating disorder um, talking about like, I, I wonder, do you get this? And then they're like, oh my gosh, how did you know that? And it's like, well, how do you think I knew that? Like yeah. <laughs> I've experienced it myself and they're done that. Yep. So I feel like you do such a good job of leading by example. And it would be really easy for you to talk about like, Hey, men speak up, men share how you're feeling. And then for you to still be as guarded. And I like, it, right. that would be the easy thing to do, but um, you're really kind of like walking the walk by, by sharing those things and being open. Um, I, it's it's hard because I'm like, so what do we as what do women do? <laughs> you know, like how do how do we urge them? But I feel like whether it's sending them posts on Instagram from men like you who are open and share things or just like consistently like I even think about with with Tyler, like kind of dipping my toes in well, how does it make you feel? Like you have to feel something in response to that. Like, how does it make you feel? And he'll always be like, I don't know. I don't feel anything. Like, yeah, you know, I think you feel something, but you're just not sure how to name it. But yeah. I think that's something else too, is 
this, um, who I was talking with somebody about it. Like we can't, we can't force them to go to the doctor or, Mm -hmm. you know, and we think about just behavior change in general, they have to be in that like contemplation stage where they're kind of weighing the pros and cons of doing it. Like we can't force anybody to do something that they truly don't want to do on their own, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. Do you have any ideas of how we can try to like from a, again, you're, you're not a female, so this might be difficult, but from like a female perspective, and maybe from your own experience as a man, how you feel you might respond best to getting support. Does that make sense? Yeah. Kind of. Um, well, I would say that, that you know, there is this sort of stereotypical nagging woman sort yes. of um, thing that, that a lot of people refer to and, and think about. And and I, I don't like that, but, in, but a lot of guys see they... They're very sensitive to that, that whole mm-hmm. nagging mentality. Uh, my wife, in fact, she's really sensitive to it. She's like worried that she is nagging me when she's reminding me. I'm, and I'm always telling her, I don't mind you reminding mm-hmm. me because it actually helps me because I tend to get distracted and mm-hmm. doing other things. And so, um, but yeah, that, that can be one where you might rethink the approach that you're using toward and, and be a bit more strategic instead mm-hmm. of just complaining, nagging, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is a natural thing because you're concerned. You're like, you really need to go to the doctor. You yes. really need to go to the doctor. Um, you know, you're having this problem. That's like a big red flag. You know, and we're not talking about just like, um, you know, minor things, but a lot of us guys don't go for anything until oh, it's, yeah. you know, like prostate cancer, for example. A lot of guys won't go until it's like they're you their bones are hurting and and then now it's because it's spread to their bones and you know all these kinds of things and so um yeah i'd say that would that would probably be a a big one but um yeah it 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 can be really challenging because it's different for each guy that's true Mm -hmm. and and it's it's hard too with the relationships because Mm -hmm. depending on the kind of relationship you have with your spouse or partner or whatever Mm um or child, whoever it is, right. it, it can, that impacts it too, because so history comes into play. So if you've been a nagging person mm-hmm. for many years, and now you're like, okay, I, I really want them to listen this time, but they've, uh, they've almost got to a point where they've just tuned you out. Mm-hmm. It can be really hard mm-hmm. in that way. Um, I, and another one is that I think that sometimes, and this goes for men too, men and women both, we, we don't realize that the, that they think of things in a different way. We, mm-hmm. we think about things differently and whether that's a common, you know, it's probably a combination of biological and societal mm-hmm. um, you know, nature and nurture, yeah. uh, both combining to, to that. But we think about things differently. And so sometimes we have to be a bit understanding, like with the intuitive eating thing, you know, a lot of women get really excited about it and then they're frustrated because their male partner is not listening to them yes. and he's doing all these things and he's like well what's the big deal do your thing and get off my back about weighing my food over here mm-hmm. just what's that mean to, you know what's the big deal just don't don't weigh your food anymore well um you know so sometimes it, it's a matter of being patient even though it can be really difficult because if if that person's actually like in an eating disorder yeah. you don't you really can't be patient but mm-hmm. at the same time there is this, we, we kind of have to be understanding that um, not all of us can just flip a switch to thinking and doing things differently. So I guess those mm-hmm. would be some things that are big common things that, mm-hmm. that I would say, but um, yeah, yeah, that, that I patient like, things. I like this being strategic about it. Like I mm-hmm. think that is really important rather than having it, always having a sense of urgency behind it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it gets down to just like, healthy communication and that's really what it is like being able to communicate and being able to pick up on how the person is receiving the information that you're putting out there and right. being able to adjust your approach based on that so i think it like i think it is worth thinking about like how are we going about approaching it like how are we asking them to go to the doctor and if i have t- t- done the same thing what is that uh there's a quote from is it einstein that's like doing something with if continuing to do something when it isn't work is like the definition of 
um, insanity or something. Yes, yeah. yeah, something. Yeah, like something. That. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Like, I'm not good at remembering quotes, I but I know which one you mean. <laughs> I don't even know if it was Einstein, but it was someone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I like that. Like, re, you know, if if you're struggling to get a man in your life to, you know, seek support or you want them to be more open about like their emotions, consider how you've gone about it in the past and mm -hmm. be open to trying something new. Like, I think that's a, yeah. a really good um, kind of tip that you mentioned there. Yeah, I think one practical strategy too for that would be that if you tend to find yourself and, and this is something where you'd have to kind of pause and reflect a little, but if you, if it looks like you're constantly nagging them in every area of their life and mm -hmm. you're really trying to get them to go to the doctor, cause or, as an example, or to listen to you with, as far as your intuitive eating and how you've, you've changed there, that you might think about what areas can I back off on that really yeah. aren't maybe as big a deal, like, okay. I've been nagging him for 10 years because he leaves his dirty underwear in the middle of the floor. <laughs> Is it that it he's been doing it for 10 or 15 years anyway. So, is it going to it, it may pull stress off of yourself and them to not nag about that small little thing? I mean, that's mm. just a, a obvious little thing that came up to me. But the smaller right. things that maybe you made a big deal about him before, but maybe you cannot. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I used to tell my kids this all the time. I was like, you know. If you're if you're upset and screaming and yelling all the time, this is how their mom was, my first wife. Mm. Then you just we tend to tune it out, and so anytime that there's actually a a serious or a big deal, we just tune it out because mm. it's always loud. The same. Uh, this was what I would tell them with cursing too, is that you know if you're going to drop the f bomb because you dropped something heavy on your foot, I don't really care. But if you're just using it every like two seconds. And and this is just the way the upbringing yeah, yeah. I had. It's just it loses its effectiveness yes. and that kind of thing. And so um, the same thing. Or if you're yelling at your kids all the time, if you're always raising your voice, pretty soon, yeah, you know, they just mm -hmm. tune that out, and so you don't get the effect of it. And so I yeah. think that we can apply that same kind of a thing to to this too, mm -hmm. and find those uh, major on the majors and and minor on the the minors. It's that idea of habituation, which is yeah, like exactly. totally intuitive eating, you know, <laughs> yeah. like we talk about that. What is it with the, is it the make peace with food principle where we mm -hmm. talk about habituation and it's like, if you never have ice cream around, when you do have ice cream around, it's going to be like, oh my God, I've got the ice cream around. Yep. But if you keep the ice cream around, it's going to lose some of its like excitement and it's not in an attempt to, you know make ice cream boring absolutely not we never want mm -hmm. that to happen um yeah. but it's in a way to like take some of that like edge off of the ice cream or i think in the intuitive eating book it's like the i love you right you mm -hmm. hear i love you from your partner for the first time it's like oh my gosh they love me and then you know 10 years down the road when you just say it every time you get off the phone every time blah, blah blah it's still super important but it no longer you know brings about that like giddy butterfly thing. So habituation that totally aligns mm -hmm. with with intuitive eating. And I think I think you're right. Like where can you maybe back off a little bit mm -hmm. um, in order to prioritize this one thing that is super important to you. So I, I yeah. like that. That's that's strategic too. Yeah. And I've found my my wife shares this example with her with her friends and stuff and, and she said, and this is because I don't make a big deal out of very much. But she'll say, you know, normally he, you know, Jeff just kind of lets me do whatever and manage the finances. She was an accountant before she had all her uh, medical issues. And so I would pretty much hands off if she wants to buy something. I'm like, if it, you know, you're the one keeping track of it, go for it. Yeah. But, um, but, uh, or other, other things too. But if I'm really passionate about something and I have a very strong opinion about it, then I'll share it. And she knows that if I actually share it with that level of mm. passion or strength, then she knows it's a big deal and it's probably something to to consider. And it, yes. and we usually end up going that route. And it's not because I'm, you know, I'm dictating it, but it's because when something is a really big deal to me, then I'll say something, but I don't say it on a daily basis. So, mm -hmm. um, so it's not, she isn't habituated to that 
Yes. That, oh, he's always making a big deal out of everything I'm trying to spend money on or mm-hmm. you know, this or that. Uh, yes. So. That's that's uh, Tyler. That's my husband. And I'm mm-hmm. like, everything is a huge, exciting deal. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, yeah. the, I'm very dramatic. <laughs> I just, like, have a lot of energy and enthusiasm. He's like, yeah, that's cool. And I'm like, no, it's awesome. He's like, well, I don't know when something's actually awesome or when you're just <laughs> excited about yeah. it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, I love it. This has been, I, I love talking about this. And it's something that I really, I started thinking about it more. When was, when's like men's health month? Is it like February or something? I always forget. Um, I think it was last, I think it may have, it was either June or, okay. yeah, May or June. I think, okay. I think it was pretty recently. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really what started like turning my wheels. I was like, I really should focus more on this, even for the future, like dedicating a month to it. Cause even though my demographic is primarily female. Um, mm-hmm. I still think though, like it's helpful for, you know, as women or females or, you know, anyone, even non-binary folks mm-hmm. to like understand how to communicate these things to the men in, the, in their life, or even just more like folks that are more masculine, right? Like take yeah. on those masculine traits. Cause that can even be, you know, a female that is just has those like quote unquote stubborn toxic masculinity traits you know about her mm-hmm. as well so i really 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 appreciate this conversation and your openness to you know share more about your life and how this has impacted you and applies you know to your upbringing and to your marriage and your relationships and all of that i think it's really helpful to have that perspective and so i'm, I'm really grateful that you feel comfortable opening up and, and sharing that with us all oh yeah well glad to do it and and um you know that that um, one of the things that I've hoped to do through this whole process is to not only reach men with this that intuitive eating is not a girl thing because mm-hmm. you can it's very easily get that perspective, totally. especially if you're following it on social media, but also a, a, a resource that women who are using and implementing intuitive eating in their own life can point their the men in their lives to another resource where they can at least just understand it more. They don't have to be wanting to jump on board with it to find my content useful because I don't, I don't, uh, you know, some people get almost very accusatory and in your face with their messaging Mm -hmm. and that's just not me. So I try and present more of like, here's some practical things. Here's, here's how to understand this principle and why, why it's an important principle and that kind of thing. And so, um, so I, I hope that, that women will f- use that as a f- as a resource to send their the men in their mm-hmm. lives, their dad, their husband, their brother, whatever, whoever it is that may be sort of unintentionally negatively impacting their attempts at implementing intuitive eating in their own life. So at least now they can understand. Oh, okay, so that's why she's making such a big deal about having all of this quote junk food in the house when we used to keep it out because we both have a hard time with it now she wants Mm -hmm. it in there all the time so now you can okay i'm I'm starting to understand where she's coming from i don't agree with it Mm -hmm. but i you know the same thing or i still want to weigh my food but i understand why she's not now why she's not counting and i guess i can kind of put those pieces together and understand it so that's that's been one of my goals with this too Mm -hmm. yeah well and it's easy to I don't remember what the theory or what the research specifically, like I can't quote it, but the idea that we learn, we tend to learn better and gravitate more towards mess- towards messages from people who look and identify, you know. Oh yeah, as yeah, hundred percent. So mm-hmm. me telling Tyler versus me sharing something of yours to Tyler, like <laughs> yeah, you might have the power, more power, you know, in that situation. So yeah, I think that's that's really helpful using you in your page as a resource. Can you plug all the things? I know you've mentioned mm-hmm. your um, Instagram page, but feel free to plug that again. Your podcast what you offer, I feel like that would be really helpful, especially considering you mentioned that um, your clientele, I think you said right now is like all men. Um, So yeah, tell us more about where we can continue to learn more from you. Yeah, sure. So Instagram is where I'm most active. uh, And that's intuitive.eating.men. And I try and post there daily ish, uh, put content there. And um, and then I also have the podcast, it's called Men's Intuition, because uh, men have intuition as well. That's part of my little intro in there. (laughs) <laughs> we hear about women's intuition all the time, but us guys have it too. And um, and then also my website is hopedrivesme.com, mm-hmm. and that's where you can reach out and set up a, a 
actually I do completely free initial consultations and I do them a little bit different than a lot of coaches. A lot of coaches do like a 10 or 15 minute discovery call, which nothing wrong with that, but I like to do a full, give them a full hour if they want it. And so I have limited slots obviously over the course of the week, but I try and set that up so that feel free to reach out even if you don't have any intention of working with me because i do one-on-one coaching if you want you know if you're a, a a man and you would just like point it in the right direction or just need hey can you tell me a little bit about this thing that my wife's doing i don't i don't get it <laughs> um or if you're a woman and you're like okay this guy is do you have any tips for me to help get him on board with this mm. be more than happy to hear from you but i like i said i do do one-on-one coaching and i do i work with men and women and i i really enjoy working with entire families too because mm-hmm. i work with worked with kids and teenagers also and combination of the parents with the teens and that's always been uh, a really uh rewarding cool experience because mm-hmm. you get to get the whole family involved in making the changes so you don't mm-hmm. have just one person who's trying to change on their own but you're actually working with the entire family and strategizing in ways to get everybody's needs and stuff met can be kind mm-hmm. of messy and complicated but it's it's mm-hmm. really fascinating to do that so um that's cool so yeah and then i i am working on a group program for men because so that's coming over the next few months depending <sighs> on how things go so that's um that's in the work so keep okay. that in mind and that's designed to have a relatively low barrier of entry from a cool. cost standpoint too mm-hmm. because obviously working one-on-one is kind of a very privileged sort of a thing to be able to do but um, I'm hoping that that group coaching will give a lot of men the ability to get the support that they need mm-hmm. while also learning about it and uh, and do so at a, in a way that won't break the bank. So. Yeah and like build a community around this and feel comfortable mm-hmm. talking about it to more men and then they can take that with them in their life yeah you're changing the world jeff yeah well i find these these groups one of the things that's really cool with the groups is you get this almost tribal mentality Mm. so if i could get a group of you know a few hundred men who are like very passionate and tribal almost about intuitive eating i know there's problems with that too and i talk about that all the time where it goes overboard too but at the Mm -hmm. same time you know if it's if we could grow up some men doing that, that would be yeah. fantastic too. So. Well, sometimes you need like those that, I mean, yeah, there's definitely pros and cons of it, but like the extreme tribal mentality yeah. in order to get like something started, then it's like, okay, now we can back off a little yeah. bit. Like, yeah. Because that like extreme voice, those are always the loudest. They, you know, they're catchier. People catch on them sooner. So yeah, um, that's awesome. Yep. Well, I'm excited for to hear more about that because I mm-hmm. would love to promote it and share it with folks. Um so definitely once it comes out, mm-hmm. it will probably be well after this episode drops. But yeah, I definitely. Sh- I'll share it on my page too. So if folks happen to not be following you yet, hopefully they'll they'll still see that. So, well, thank you so much. This has been awesome. I love chatting with you. Um, I love, again, your openness and everything. So I just want to thank you again because this was awesome. And I can't wait to share it with listeners. Well, thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed it too. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of GTB. If you're enjoying this podcast, feel free to head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. You can also share this podcast on Instagram and tag me at Give em the Bird Podcast. I will see you back here next week for another episode, but in the meantime, go give them the bird.